0: Lord God, thank you for your presence here this morning. Thank you that you are working in this place. And thank you for Robin. Thank you for this talk that she's going to do this morning. Thank you for all the prep she's done. And thank you that she is open to you and hearing your word, Lord. I pray that we are this morning, that we can hear what we need to hear. That each individual person, here and online, um, yeah, just really hears from you through Robin this morning. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Rosie. Well, good morning, everyone. It's really great to be with you all this morning. Uh, Let me just sort this out. Yes, so I'm Robin. If we've not met before, it's great to be here. Um, So we are finishing off our Elijah series today. And it's one of my absolute favorite stories because I really believe it demonstrates God's kindness in the midst of just the messiness of human kind of existence. Um, and I was just thinking, um, during that worship time, how it's amazing that the Bible tells us when two or more are gathered, that God is there in our midst. And just, I really believe that today, that God is here with us. Um, so I'm going to just hold on to that truth while we go through this talk. Um, so yes, I, just a bit of an honest kind of confession, I'm quite a messy person. Um, I get things wrong. I, I tend to do things quite at the last minute, which can get quite messy, Um a bit of my bugbearer is I really hate putting away laundry. I'm really good at washing it. I'm not very good at putting it away. So this week where I've been a bit stressed and um, been quite busy, I've just had three massive piles of laundry just in my room and just I've lived with it. So I'm quite a messy person, but I'm sure all of us here might have parts of our lives which might seem a bit messy. We have insecurities or maybe weaknesses or things that we struggle with, maybe some fears. Um, But even more so, I was reflecting on what Philip shared last week and I just honestly feel that our world is a bit messy at the moment, that there's still wars going on, there's racial and gender inequalities, poverty, we're still living with poverty in our world and just hearing the awful news this week about the shooting in America, just that reality that we're living in a very messy world right now. And that can be, for me, quite overwhelming. And maybe you might feel the same, that as you just hear all that news and sort of see the world around us, it can feel quite overwhelming. So I believe that God wants to kind of use this story just to speak to us today about maybe how we might want to navigate that messiness and how God can help us in his kindness to help navigate that messiness, maybe in our lives or as we look around in the world today and how we can support others through that as well. So, a bit of a background about Elijah. Um, he was God's prophet. He was God's messenger. Um, and the king at the time, um, King Ahab, had married a, a pagan woman called Jezebel. Um, so, they all worshipped this fo- um, idol God Baal. So, the last four weeks, we've heard about God sort of taking Elijah on this incredible journey where he's miraculously provided for him, been with him. And Elijah's f- obediently followed all of God's instructions. Um, And then it ended on this massive showdown last week, where it was um, Elijah up against 450 prophets of Baal, And there was this epic showdown on the Mount Carmel of who would send the fire to burn up the offerings, who would be the one true God. And God, we heard, came out victorious. He was the one that sent the fire. And then the story carries on um, that... As it says in the law, in the book of Deuteronomy, that false prophets should be killed so that they don't lead the, um, the people astray. So there was quite a um, messy kind of the prophets of Baal being killed. And so we're going to pick up the story just after this has happened. But I just want to think for a moment, how might Elijah have been feeling in that moment? Maybe quite relieved that God did show up. He would have looked quite foolish if he did God didn't may be excited that this was the moment where God's people were finally going to turn back to God and we're going to read what happens if we can have one Kings yeah one to four it says now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say may the gods deal with me be it ever so severely if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. So Elijah didn't get the reaction he was hoping for. He was hoping that God's people would turn back to God. But instead, um, the king and queen didn't turn to God. Instead, they threatened to kill him. So Elijah ran away. And in this moment, you sort of get the sense that Elijah's in a pit of despair. He's exhausted, maybe feeling disappointed, maybe feeling like he failed, that God's people didn't turn back to God. Um, And I wonder if any of us might have had that similar experience where we've had this mountaintop experience where everything feels like it's going really well. Life is going well. And then suddenly something happens. We might face persecution or disappointment or a failure and maybe we have that sense of wanting to run away and hide or some of us maybe we're not in that place right now but we know people who might be or we see around the world just that sense of utter despair of how can it be like this so what might we say to ourselves in that place or what might we say to others when they're sort of feeling disappointed or feeling that they've had enough Well, maybe my sort of tendency is to say, oh, maybe it's all going to be okay. God's got it in hand. God's got a plan. We might try and quote some Bible passages like um, Romans 5, verse 3, where we can rejoice in suffering because we know God's going to be using it to build our character. And I'm not saying saying those kind of things are not helpful or true. But what I find really interesting is God's reaction to Elijah in this state. And I think God takes Elijah on a bit of a journey. And we're going to read through the journey that God takes him on. And there's sort of four key stages that Elijah, that God takes Elijah through, leading him from this place of despair into God's presence. So if we could have the next passage up. So this is Elijah. He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. All at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. He looked around and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. The angel of the Lord came back a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. So Elijah goes to sleep, and then God provides food and water, and then he sends him to sleep again, and then he provides food and water again. I love that God cares not just about what's going on in Elijah's head or in his kind of emotions, but he cares about what's going on in his physical body as well, and he provides for him. So I thought I'd just take a moment to tell you about my mum. She, Throughout my life, she has had a habit of doing that I will give her a call. This is the situation. I'll give her a call up. Um, I'll phone her up and say, "Oh, everything's going wrong. Life is a mess. What do I do? And I just rant at her about all the things that are going on. And then she'll simply say, go to bed and I'll call you in the morning. And it is the most frustrating thing because I'm like, how can I possibly go to bed when I've just spent all this time telling you all the things that I need to do? How can I possibly go to bed right now? And she simply says, go to bed and I'll talk to you in the morning. And although it's frustrating, it's also become comical because I know now, know she will, even if I don't make that phone call, I know what she's going to say. And she says it because every time that I do, I am able to get some good night's sleep. I do wake up feeling a little bit calmer and I've got a little bit more perspective to be able to actually receive some of the wisdom that she wants to share on the phone. But I need to have that sleep to be able to receive that. So maybe my first point of thinking on this story, one lesson that we could maybe take from this story, if we can have that on the screen, is in our messiness, in the world around us today or maybe in our own lives, How can we try and maybe prioritize taking care of our physical needs? And how can we maybe encourage other people to make sure that they are drinking and sleeping and eating well? Um, Maybe my first lesson. And then so once uh, God has provided for Elijah's physical needs, what happens next? If we can have that on the passage, the next passage. So strengthened by that food, he traveled for 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. So Elijah's physical needs have been met. He now goes on a journey. Now, apparently, this journey, um, it's about a 200-mile trip, and it could have been taken about a quarter of that time. And yet, for Elijah, it takes 40 days and 40 nights. Now, I take that to mean he's either walked very, very slowly, or he's done a bit of a kind of all over the place to get there. But where is he going? This mountain, Mount Horeb, is also called Mount Sinai, you might recognise. So this is the mountain where God, all that time ago, met with Moses and established the covenant with Moses and gave him the the two big stone um, tablets with the commandments on them. So it's a really special place for God's people. It's a really holy place. But it takes Elijah 40 days to get there. Now, one that might just be because he needed some exercise, which is important too, But I also think it's really interesting that God's not in a rush. He's not in a rush to get Elijah to this mountain, to this holy place. He's willing to walk with Elijah, however slowly he's taking. He's willing to walk with him to get there. And I wonder, in our world today, where we've got so much emphasis on instant results. We all know those kind of um, paracetamol or ibuprofen adverts where it's like instant relief. God's not in a rush. He's happy and willing to walk with Elijah to get to this mountain, to this place. And I wonder, what would it look like if we ourselves give us time, when we feel like we might be in a mess, um, what would it look like to give ourselves time to kind of process and recover and feel okay to do that? And maybe as we're walking alongside other people, what would it look like to actually be willing to be with them in that, in the struggle, and not wanting them to kind of instantly become better, but walking with them? And I'm not saying this is easy, Um, I'm living, my housemate is sort of currently struggling with um, long COVID and she's showing real strength to actually being willing to just give in to the needing to rest and that takes a real courage to do that, it's not easy. Um, but just honouring her and honouring anyone else that's sort of suffering with long COVID or kind of long-term illness, that it's not easy, but it's really important. And I think it's quite countercultural as well, that actually if we're willing to be with people in that time and walking with them, I think it can make a real difference. So maybe our second lesson is, in our messiness, how can we give ourselves time to recover? And so what happens next? He's reached the mountain, what happens on the mountain? And, and the word of the Lord came to Elijah and said, what are you doing here? And Elijah replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they are trying to kill me too. We're just going to pause there. The tone that I hear when I read this passage is it just sounds like Elijah is having a rant. It sounds like he's whining, moaning at God, saying, it's all going wrong. The Israelites have rejected covenant. I'm the only one left. Now they're trying to kill me, too. Ah!" And you know what? I think that's okay. Like God is sorry. Elijah is ranting at God. Well, that's how I interpret it. And I think that's okay. Sometimes we need to have a good rant. Um, but I think it's really interesting who we do that with. So, is it with can we do we feel able to go to God and just share out and pour our heart and be honest with God? Or maybe it's with other people. So, for me, I am a bit of an internal processor. I find it really hard to express myself externally. So, I um, type. So, if you were to look at my computer, you'd find document after document of me just ranting at God in typing some documents. But what and that's quite therapeutic. But the one thing that I found really helpful is if I take the courage to then print that off and give it to someone and say, can you read this? And then can we talk about it? So times where I've been able to do that with a mentor or with a friend or in a small group as well. And I think small groups are such an important place where we can kind of be honest with one another and share the struggles of life together. So I'm just going to say, if you're not part of a small group at Highgrove and you want to find out more, there's loads of information on the website. Um, Do get stuck into a small group because they're a place where we can come together and share the kind of the strengths and the highlights and the um, encouragements of life, but also the struggles as well. So maybe my third point is, in our messiness, how can we be honest with God and others? What does it look like to give time to that? So after Elijah has had his physical needs met and he's had some exercise, he's taken his time to get to this mountain and he's ranted at God, he's all talked out. What does God do next? We read next, the Lord God said, go out and stand on a mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore through the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And the wind, after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face, went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. So after Elijah is all talked out, he's all ranted, what happens? Well, there's these three massive sort of epic demonstration of sort of uh, forces of nature there's a fire an earthquake and the wind but this time God was in the wind on Mount Carmel but here God is in the silent whisper or as the Hebrew sometimes it's translated from the Hebrew as um, a gentle silence I wonder have you ever been in that place where you feel like you are so desperate to meet with God and yet you're faced with just silence And sometimes it can be frustrating and we wonder what, we want the big sign, we want the big display of God's presence to know he's there. But why does he sometimes just come and just bring quiet thoughts to our hearts? Or maybe the Holy Spirit might drop things into our minds just to remind us of God's love for us. Why does he do that? Well... As I sort of struggled with this um, growing up, and then I heard um, Mike Pellavacci um, say this quote, and it stuck with me. So Mike Pellavacci was a pastor and also led Soul Survivor, and he said this quote, which has always stuck with me, that God shouts at his enemies and whispers to his friends. Now, why does God do that? Because he wants intimacy. He wants closeness with us. He doesn't want us to speak to us at a distance. He wants to come close. And that takes quite a lot of effort, I think, to be able to still our hearts and be willing to be in a place where we can just sit and wait patiently. But when we do, I think that's where we have those really intimate times with God, where we can know that we're loved, that God wants to speak to us. He wants to communion with us. He wants to stay close. And if we were to carry on reading, um, God would finally say when God speaks, he recommissions Elijah, he sends him back to work, he gives him things to do. But he also promises that he um, tells him to go and find Eli- Elisha, um, he will become his friend and disciple and has kind of promised that um, Elijah's work is not going to end with Elijah, but it's going to carry on. And that also, um, a reminder that actually he's not alone. There are other people who are following God at that time. So in that place, in that stillness, in the quietness, God reaffirms who he is, reaffirms his identity, recommissions him and promises him that he will have other people to journey with him. He receives the truth and encouragement he needs, but it's in that quiet, still place with God. So maybe finally, we think about in our world today... Are we making space to hear that still small voice or what might you need to do to be able to get to that place? And also, how can we be encouraging other people to find that time to be still when our world is so busy and so hectic all the time? What would it look like to find that still small place where we can hear God speak? So they're my sort of three or four kind of encouragements for us as we face kind of the messiness in our own lives or maybe as we look at the world around us. How can we make sure our physical needs are met and we're making time for that? How can we be giving time to process and recover and not kind of feeling guilty if we're not getting better really quickly? How can we be um, meeting with God in that being honest with God about who we are and what's going on in our hearts, and how can we we be spending prioritizing, making time just to sit and listen. But just to end, I thought it'd be good after talking that actually why we can do that here as a church family. So why I'm going to invite you to stand um, if you want to, and we're just going to spend some time, just a few moments, just waiting on the Lord, and just seeing what God might want to say to us. I'll invite the band up in a second, but I just think it's okay to be in silence, because Mike Pilevachi also says, that actually, the more we wait, the more God does. And we don't often get silence in our lives, so we're just going to take a moment just to be still and just to see what God might want to say to us this morning. So, Holy Spirit, thank you that you've been here today, and we just, we simply pray, come, and may you speak.